I want to do something a little different in that I'm not going to necessarily ask you to turn somewhere. You can. Um, just kind of feel like maybe this is one of the Sundays where maybe, um, maybe like the note-taking isn't quite as fast and furious. Uh, I know some of you can't pay attention without taking notes. I get that. But um, maybe this is just a day just to listen a little bit. Um, we're two weeks out from Easter. We have Palm Sunday next Sunday. Um, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem sets into motion Jesus' final week uh, before uh, the big event. Every day that week is significant and we'll track along together. Uh, the Thursday of Holy Week, uh, it's the Passover. Jesus gathers with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. And he redefines the Passover meal for them. And takes the, what is a very, uh, it's a traditional meal. Everything is symbolic. And he, he doesn't throw that to the side. He actually brings it to like a deeper meaning. He ex- it's what the Passover was pointing to the whole time. He redefines this meal. And so on Thursday, Christians all over the world gather together to, to do that same thing, to celebrate that meal together. Uh, and so we'll do that here. On Friday of that week, is the, it's the worst day of the year for a Christian. It's the saddest day of the year. Uh, in our culture, it's like crawfish boil day. But for a Christian, there's a heaviness to Good Friday and so we'll gather Good Friday evening here. Saturday of that week is a, it's, no one really knows what to do with that day a lot of times. It's kind of a, um, you kind of have to think about the disciples and how lost they must have felt during that time. And, and so it's a day of, of, of confusion a little bit, of, like, of missing him, of trying to process what's all happened. And, and then of course Sunday, it's on at that point. And so as we get ready to go in, into that, you know, Lent, Lent has seven Sundays to it. The last two, your topic is determined for you. Triumphal entry, resurrection. So you really have five, five Sundays of teaching leading up to that. And in praying for just that trajectory, God brought me to last week's text and this week as like very much uh, related uh, in a lot of ways. And I just want to look, take a very simple look at a story that has a deep beauty to it. But I think this morning may be a little bit different than some of our Sundays um, when we're together. Uh, maybe not, but maybe it will. So may, this might just be one that you just may want to listen to. I don't have a lot. I don't have points. You know, it's not real organized. It's just, let's just read the story. So we're in Luke chapter 7. It starts in verse 36. So as one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, so this would be Jesus, and he, Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
Now, when the Pharisee who had uh, invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, there's something I have to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. I'll hit pause right there. So the setting, um, this would not be a, a, an uncommon thing in this part of the world at this time. Uh, if you had, if you invited someone over for dinner and someone from your neighborhood just like walked in and sat down, that would be weird to you, right? Okay. But to them, like sharing a meal was, it was a very communal thing. Everything was about togetherness. And so it wouldn't be uncommon if there was a meal where for people to just show up and they may not participate in the meal. They may not even sit at the table. They might just sit on the side of the room, but uh, they just wanted to come and listen Especially when the if a rabbi would come, especially at a Pharisee's house, this would have kind of been a, a big deal. And so, here they are; they're reclining at table, which is like a table in the middle of a room, and they would sit on the ground and they would kind of like lean toward the table, so their feet would be kicked behind them. And uh, they're they're together, and this woman comes in, and she is immediately judged by the Pharisee and probably by the other people as well. And he's like, yeah, look at, it's one of these kinds of women. It just says that she was a sinner. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us what kind, like what that means. You know, there's all kinds of things. Now, certainly there are some conclusions people jump to, but it really doesn't say. So let's just leave it broad. But she was like known to not be someone who was uh, like walking in like holiness, let's say. She had a reputation in the town. And so they're judging her immediately. And this would be, uh, it would be a, it would not be strange for her to show up in the house. It would be strange for her to wash someone's feet uh, because that's normally the job of the host. When your, your guests would arrive, the host would clean their feet or someone, a part of his household would wash their feet and, and help uh, welcome them in. It was a hospitality thing. And so it was very strange for someone who was not the host to show hospitality in this way and for it to be a female and for it to be a female that had a reputation around the town. This was just a, this was a weird situation. And uh, that aside, what a beautiful picture that Luke gives us. There's, there's Jesus. There's a woman who has struggled. And she is like tending to him. She's loving him. And she's overcome with emotion. Like she's, she's caught up in it. She's come prepared with this jar that was probably, probably valuable in that time. But she may not have been prepared for the emotion, and so she's maybe I'm, maybe she's like, oh my gosh, my tears are all over his feet, and she's like, I have nothing. I'll use my hair to wipe it up. I mean, it's it's just just a, this beautiful picture of uh, someone just just overcome in the presence of Jesus. It's incredible, and so Simon the Pharisee is thinking in his mind, man, if. If he's a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. And Jesus, through the Spirit's inclination, he's not a mind reader, you know, the Spirit shows him 
He says, I got something to tell you. And so Jesus um, is, he's perfect in every situation, but I love it when something strange happens and he's like, let me tell you a story. So he tells him a story. Let's keep reading. Verse 41. This is his story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could, when they could not pay, so both of them couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Let's stop right there. So it seems like Jesus, you know, he tells this story about debt. So one guy had a little bit of debt. Some of us had 10 times that. Both forgiven. Who you think is more grateful? I, you know, want the bigger debt. It seems that at first that he is saying that in this story, the woman is uh, like she's she's the one with the greater debt because she sinned a whole lot. Like, look again at the, at what he says. Um, look at verse 47. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much. He who's forgiven little loves little. So at first glance, it looks like he's saying, look, she sinned a lot. So in the story, she's the one with the greater debt. And so what you're seeing here is someone with a really huge debt because she had a really long list of sins. And so that's why she is loving me in these ways is because she's been forgiven of so much. So if you haven't been forgiven of, of as many, th- if your list is not quite as long, if you have the smaller debt rather than the greater debt, then, you know, that's kind of, a, he, it's almost like he's explaining it. Like, that's what's going on here. She's been really, really bad. So she's really, really grateful. You guys have not been as grateful because you haven't been as bad. That's what it appears what he is saying. What he is actually saying is that everyone in the story and everyone in the room are all the, like, sorry, everyone in the room has the bigger, like the big debt in the story. The Pharisees have a great debt. The woman has a great debt. No matter how good you've been or how bad you've been, you have a great debt. The difference here is that she gets that and you do not. She's loving me because she understands uh, the significance of forgiveness. You have not loved me at all because you have no idea how broken you are. That's what he's saying. He's pointing to her and saying, she gets it. She's the model for you, 
Pharisees, religious leaders, experts in the scriptures. She's getting it right. Be like her. That's what he's saying. Even though she's the model for us, it's so easy to to be a, a lot like the Pharisees. You know, we we have that that trap, and I talked about this last week of of categorizing sin. And there's some religious structures where that's it's all built around that. Is what category does this particular thing fall in? Is this like a really bad one, or just kind of a bad one, or like an okay one, or a, just an annoying one? And so we do all that, and then we start comparing ourselves to other people very easily. It's like, well, I mean, I know I did this, but at least I didn't do that. That's what's happening in this room. They're like, oh, that, if he only knew who was washing his feet, he wouldn't, let her, he wouldn't let her touch him. We can fall into that trap very easily of thinking, I mean, I know I got my stuff, but, you know, I hadn't killed anybody. All right? I hadn't cheated on my spouse. I hadn't stolen money from the company. You know, I hadn't done all these, like, big, terrible things. I'm not a, um, I'm not a warlord, you know? Like, I, I've, I'm not that bad. I just kind of, I got my stuff, but it's not... See, that's, that's, that's the trap right there. As we look at other people and say, well, I could be like that. I mean, I could be better, but at least I'm not that bad. So I'm kind of in the, you know, kind of in the middle of the bell curve, you know, of behaviors and sin. Not good. Because then we end up minimizing our stuff. We maximize someone else's stuff and we fall into the same trap that they have been in of just being religious. And what happens when you're religious is you love very little. Because you have become convinced that you've been forgiven of very little. You think that you have a short list compared to someone else to bring to the cross. And that is the lie. If you ever wondered, why don't I seem to just like love the Lord with all my heart? It, it could be a part of that is that maybe you have become convinced that your debt really wasn't that big. Now, the Bible teaches us that debt is for all of us. Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Don't worry about all that stuff. Basically, it's that you were dead, okay? God made alive together with him, him being Jesus. All right, so you were dead. Remember baptism the last two weeks? You died. Jesus died. You died. God made you alive when God made him alive, like you're together, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I'm sure that, that uh, most of us in this room are in debt of some sort financially. You might have a car note, you might have a mortgage, you might have something, and you probably get like an annoying monthly reminder of this debt. Those of you who ever bought a house, remember that that document that you have to sign and it's like, we have to make you sign it. It's going to show you in 30 years how much you actually paid for this house. I've, I've been through that process a few times and every single time I've had a closing attorney who was like, hey, how about you just not look at that number right there? He just hides it. Just sign this one. We get these reminders of our indebtedness. Same thing happened back then. Someone, if you owed someone money, they would, they would have, a, uh, they have a way of writing that down. And sometimes they would come and they would nail that on your door, on your doorpost. And so what Paul's saying is like, yeah, you're, you're in, 
because you were dead, because of what's like, because you have sinned against the holy God of the universe, that means that you're dead. That indebtedness uh, that was handed to you, Jesus took that piece of paper and instead of nailing it to your doorpost, he nailed it to his own cross. That's what it's saying. He doesn't say, oh yeah, some of you had a lot of debt and some of you had a little bit of debt. Some of you have sinned like a couple hundred times and some of you a couple million times. And so it's, he, you will not find that anywhere in the Bible that that means one single thing. And so everyone, regardless of the details of your life, is in the same situation. There's no one that has a small debt. It isn't about your laundry list of what you've done. It isn't comparing the Pharisees in this room to the woman in this room in regard to who is, a worse, who is worse or better. He's saying every one of you had a debt you couldn't pay. That's the point of the story. You all owed something, and you, it says neither of them could pay it. And so the lender said, tell you what, I'm going to forgive the debt. That's what it means. So instead of making you pay it, I'm going to pay it. And so Jesus is looking at this woman and he's saying, look, she understands that she had a debt she couldn't pay and I'm paying it. She's been listening to what I've been teaching. She's been, she's been uh, like listening to me talk about the kingdom and me inviting her into life. She understands it. You guys have no clue, even though you're experts in the scriptures, supposedly. He's saying, be like her. You guys all have a debt that you can't pay. She's the model for us. This, I think, is one of the, the greatest, if not the greatest, picture of worship that we see in the scriptures. I mean, it's kind of hard to top some things in Revelation, some parts of the psalm, maybe the dedication of the temple. So it's, it's not a contest, but let's just say that um, along with those great, big, loud, huge moments, there's this beautiful, simple moment where all you hear is someone weeping. The word worship, it's, it's, it's rooted in, in an old English word of worth-ship. Worship is about worth. Jesus is worth something to her. And she shows him this in some very beautiful and tangible ways. This was costly for her. Like it costs her, like, making her reputation worse. It costs her money like the ointment and all those things were very valuable at that time. It, it cost her the, like the emotional toll of that kind of vulnerability in, in the midst of the most judgmental like room that you could maybe put together. You know, it just cost her so much, but every, but it was worth it because he's worth it. She's like, I don't care what you people think about me. That's the subtext. I don't care. I don't care about any of you in this room. I care about only one person in this room. And whatever it costs me to express this love and gratitude to him, it is absolutely worth it because he is the only worthy one for me. And so for us, we, we have to be willing to push through any obstacle that's there in regard to us expressing that to Jesus. I'm sure that there are times when you are, um, you're, you're caught up in it and you want, like, you want, you want to do something, you know. 
Maybe there are times when we're together and, and like the music's kind of going and you want to put your hands up, but you're not really a hands up kind of person. Or maybe sometimes you're getting emotional, but you're like fighting it back for some reason. There's so many things. Just I want you to think about this woman in those situations. Think about her gratitude, though, was that it it came from a, a true understanding of forgiveness. That's what Jesus says. Says her sins, and there are many of them, sure. It's like for all of you. Her sins are forgiven. Forgiven little, love little. The implication, forgiven much, love much. She understands something about forgiveness that I think is very important for us. Especially during the season of Lent, as we've the first three weeks of studying Jesus' temptation in the desert and him modeling what it means to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow. Last week, looking at the, the woman caught in the act of adultery and, and Jesus, to his, his, like, what does Jesus do with someone who has messed up? And now it's almost like a reverse. What does the person who's messed up do with Jesus? And as we're doing all this, like digging things up, you may have, if you have been like pushing your way through Lent, you might find yourself like kind of angsty, kind of tense because it's not fun to like, like become like to be open handed with the Lord and say, search me, try me, test me, lead me, whatever it is, show me. I want to do something about it. That's a hard place to be. And so what does she understand about forgiveness that's so important? Well, in, in Jeremiah 31, there's this passage about the new covenant where God is foreshadowing what it's going to be like, which helps, you can really understand what Jesus is talking about when you realize, like when you connect it to what the Old Testament was pointing toward. But in verse 34, the second half of verse 34, um, it says this, this is God looking at you and this is what it says at the end. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now we read that in English, and we're like, okay, so uh, God forgives our sin, and he forgets about our sin. But that doesn't make any sense, because God does not forget. Like, that's, that can't be what, what remember means there. I will remember it no more. And you and I made in his image, we're the same way. Like, you, you, know, you know who hurt you. I had, a, I had a student teacher in PE in the fourth grade call me a doofus, and I could pick him out of a lineup today. <laughs> I promise you. We don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't forget. We forget plots of movies you know we forget what we wore on a certain day when we were young you don't forget when people sin against you you remember every detail god this does not mean that god remembers our sin no more in terms of like he wipes his memory clear what that means when you dig into the hebrew he's saying i will not hold that sin against you any longer i will forgive it just like a lender forgives a debt, it says, I will not hold you against that. You do not have to pay for that anymore. That's what remember means there. So when we say God doesn't remember our sins, it's not a memory thing. It's the fact he looks at you and he's like, listen to this, it's very important. 
It says, knowing every detail and remembering it in vivid living color, everything that you have done, with all that in the front of my mind, I still love you. I still choose you. I do not hold that over your head. I do not, I'm not making you pay for that. You have my like full and eternal love. That's what forgiveness is. It's not forgetting what you did. It's remembering it and saying, but that doesn't matter to me. You matter to me. She understands that in this moment. It's almost as if she's overwhelmed with how, how can Jesus, knowing all that I've done, still be so gracious and compassionate with me? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. How is this real life? And what if she had been in the crowds and, and all that kind of stuff? What if like, she's like, and I finally get to tell him thank you. Like I finally get an opportunity to express it to him. It overwhelms her, and she has to express it for us. It has to overwhelm us. I'm not saying we have to walk around crying all the time. I'm not saying every Sunday has to be a big dramatic thing. I'm not saying that at all. But it, it has to move us. If we are not moved by it, it's because we're, we're not understanding something that he wants us to understand. This is not an act of shame. She's not crying because she's ashamed. This is an act of deep confidence. This is an act of saying, I, I know who I am, okay? I know who you are. This is, there's a beauty here. And so Jesus is inviting the Pharisees, he's inviting anyone who wants to, to look at this woman and say, she is the model for you. Be moved by forgiveness. Understand that your debt was massive and you could not pay it. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are. It doesn't matter the details. Every one of you are in the same category. And Jesus came to die once and for all. For all the people, for all the sin. Verse 48, he looks at her. He says, your sins are forgiven. And those at the table with him were, began saying to themselves, who is, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'll tell you something. This is a woman whose story has been rewritten. Jesus rewrote her story. And her story is your story. Her story is my story. Her story is the story of the church. Her story is the one that we sing of when we're together. It's the one that we, that we sing of when we're apart. So it's like this is, this is it. Verse 48, verse 50, this, this is her story, your story. Verse 48, your sins are forgiven. If you are in Christ, if you have come to him and you said, I, my, I have too much debt, I need you to forgive it. Then he looks at you and says, your sins are forgiven. Why? Verse 50. 
Your faith has saved you. Not your, she's not earning this. It's the gift of grace to her. Your faith and your belief that Jesus has come to pay the debt has saved you. Go in shalom. Go in peace. Go in the oneness that comes in walking with the Lord. Look, if you're a Christian, that's your story. If you are not a Christian, if you've never come to that point where you have, like, have asked Jesus to forgive the debt, then you, that can become your story today. We don't want you to leave this place uncertain. And so stemming from this story, I just have two questions I want us to think about as we kind of enter into a response time. Now here's, here's what's going to happen with the response time, all right? We're going to, a lot of times it's like, let's stand and let's, we're, we kind of set some things into motion. We're not going to do that today. You stand when you want to stand. How about that? If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to stay seated, you can stay seated. We're not going to launch right into communion. We're going we're gonna to do a song first. And then, I'm not sure you're serving communion today. So if you're serving communion today, when we start the second song, that's when I want you to come up and get stuff. Go stand there. Okay. So we're going to have just a time. We're just going to sit in a moment. If you want to stand in that moment, you can do that. If you want to sing along, you can. If you want to just, that's fine. We'll have that one song. Then we'll do another song and another song. Once we set into motion, you want to come and pray. The steps are open for you. We'll have some folks here in the front who would love to pray with you, especially if you have never asked Jesus to pay that debt. Our communion servers will be there, a tangible way to, to receive the grace Jesus offers. You, you dip the bread in the juice and you take it yourself. Um, we're going we're gonna to share some moments together before we do the priestly blessing and everything kind of gets all crazy. We're going to sit in the moment a little bit. We're going to imitate this woman. I'm not saying that you have to cry, but if you want to cry, it's okay. But I want you to think about two things as we enter into that time. One, do you, do you know who you are? Like, do you, do you know that you are the sinful woman? I'm not talking about in a like an identity sense. I, I, I'm just saying, like, do you understand that you are the one who had a massive debt that Jesus has paid? That you are the one who has been forgiven much. That if you have been caught in a, in the trap of maybe thinking, well, I've really never been that bad. Jesus is ready to reset your mindset. That you are the sinful woman. So do you know who you are in this story? Second question, do you know who he is? Like we can read the story, we completely understand who Jesus is to her by watching what happens. Who is Jesus to you? Do you know that he is the one who's worthy of all of it? Who even forgives the debt, your debt, all of our debt. So I'm going to pray for us and I'd like us to sit in this moment. We'll have a song kind of sung over us. Then we'll move into our normal response time.
I think this is a good way to push us into the next couple of weeks as we head toward Easter. So let me pray for us as our musicians come back. God, I, I'm thankful for this story, and I, I really, I don't want to try to like manufacture some moment. I just really felt in planning today that you wanted us to just to sit in the story a little bit. And so I pray that this, these next few moments are effective for us in doing that. And that we can just run those two questions through our mind to make sure that we understand that we, we're just like this woman. A debt we couldn't pay. That you stepped in and took for us. That we have been forgiven much. And would you help our gratitude and our love uh, be connected to that understanding that you haven't forgotten our sin. You remember it all and yet you, you don't hold it against us. You choose love. You choose us. And help us to think about who you are to us. Like I said, we, there's no doubt in the story who, who you are to this woman. May you be the same to us. The one who is worthy. The one who is right here with us. The forgiver of debts.